Hello everyone, my name is Rochelle Innocent and I'm the founder and CEO of Project Purpose. Welcome to our YouTube channel. Our community is focused on fostering the intellectual and character development in children. We do this through our parent-child workshops that focus on four themes, autonomy, self-efficacy, compassion, and self-concept in order to cultivate grit, perseverance, and resilience in each child. At Project Purpose, our overarching mandate is to renew and rebuild family, communities, and relationships. Our YouTube platform provides us with an opportunity to have discussions on all topics that relate to family, community, and relationships with ourselves as well as with others, with a primary focus on mental health and education. More precisely, the ways that the institutions of mental health and education have played a role and play a role in our societies at large. These discussions and debates provide us with an opportunity to think critically about what needs to change within these structures in order for us to live up to our bold slogan, support, protect, and empower each child through youth-focused development, better known as leadership in juvenescence. We recognize that in valuing our children's leadership potential, that also translates as recreating and co-creating spaces, both socially and politically, in order for our children to thrive. For those of you who are particularly keen and are also passionate about this topic, we do also write thought pieces every other Sunday. We just dropped a thought piece this past Sunday. So definitely be sure to check out our website once you're done with this video. <laughs> As is the YouTube convention, please do subscribe. Hit that post notification bell so that you're aware of every time we post. And of course, if you like our conversations and you want to keep them going, be sure to like, comment, and share this video. Let's get into it. Hello everyone and welcome back to another week with us here at Project Purpose. And this week our focus is going to be on education. Now, this conversation that we're going to have today is one that's very close to my heart and it's really a debate. So I want to preface this conversation by letting you know that these are my opinions. I've informed these opinions with different research that I've provided in the description below. And I really am seeking engagement. I'm definitely seeking to kind of create a discussion around the topic of the juxtaposition that exists between mental health and education. And there is definitely a juxtaposition and there wasn't always, but um, at some point down the road, I've covered a lot of the history that sort of speaks to the evolution of education and how mental health has really started to permeate within our, the field of education and the way that we you know, manage students in a classroom setting. So it's important that we talk about that juxtaposition very clearly and talk about some statistics that should definitely inform the position that we take by way of what that juxtaposition if at all should look like moving forward. Mental health and education have become, you know, one and the same in many respects because a lot of our educators are having to answer the question of how they deal with mental health in the classroom. Um, and I think that it's, it's a topic that we have a lot of conversations around, yet we haven't found a solution that best fits both the students as well as the teachers. And I know I, I've been fairly firm about my position on, you know, educators within the existing 
sphere of education. And I think that that tone is going to carry in this conversation, recognizing that this isn't me personally having an issue with teachers. This is me more so just providing an objective critique on the style of teaching and the methodology of teaching that is prevalent in our society today and different attitudes that I have towards reform. So definitely let's debate on those different attitudes. Let's have conversations on those different attitudes and let's think and talk about what it is that we need to do to clarify the juxtaposition between mental health and education and to ensure that that juxtaposition is a healthy one. So I guess my first point is, is why is there even a juxtaposition? Well, for one, I think educators made mental health their business and they failed to address it. So educators make mental health their business when they decide that they have the right or the authority to dictate to parents whether or not a child has a mental health issue that is disruptive within the classroom. And a lot of the times the pipeline for these conversations involves pharmaceutical drugs to children as young as six years old, which obviously those who know me and who have been following any of the content that I've put out know that I'm vehemently against this sort of intervention. So, so let's talk about let's talk about the mental health landscape within the educational sphere. Um, so the best way to do this is with statistics. And statistically speaking, 61% of teachers have stated that they feel overly stressed or very often stressed while on the job. And the job in and of itself has created different mental health concerns for them as individuals. And then um, if we look at the flip side, we look at students specifically within Canada, and this metric is specifically provided by the Canadian Mental Health Association, um, where the second leading cause of suicide for children between the ages of 15 to 24 is suicide. 44.4% of students have reported that they are depressed beyond the ability of functioning. And 59.4% of students feel that they have the sense of hopelessness that is beyond their ability to shake off. Um, so when we look at all of the players within the educational field, we recognize that there is an issue. So we see that the students are, are themselves dealing with significant mental health issues. And we also see that the educators themselves are dealing with significant mental health issues. And the problem with educators having significant mental health issues, and over 61% of them have indicated that this is the case, is that they're the ones who are providing their subjective point of view as to whether or not a student within the class is also having a mental health concern. Um, so we recognize that there is confirmation bias. A lot of the time as we see our symptomology, you know, our behavior is very prevalent in others and, and we kind of have this confirmation bias that can permeate um, in the way that we look at and, and assess other people's behaviors. Um, but also, we also recognize that if these people are in positions of authority and if they're in a situation where they're stressed and they're very often stressed, that obviously is going to have an impact on the students. Um, and outside of an educational platform, when we think about fit, when we think about someone's capacity to perform within a role, generally speaking, if someone is often or always stressed, it speaks to a lack of fit. It means this isn't the right position for that specific individual if they're not able to manage their stress while completing the tasks required within that position. Um, now that might be an unfair parallel to make. So another one that I would make is maybe just the setup in and of itself is just not realistic. If everyone is feeling very stressed, if everyone is dealing with mental health issues as a result of the existing schema that exists within our educational sphere, then clearly that means that there needs to be some reform so that we are supporting the mental health of both of our educators and our students who both based on the statistics are letting us know that there is a clear issue that needs 
addressing, um, and, and then that needs a solution and an intervention. And, and that solution isn't ADHD. And I, 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 I have to say this, and, and this is going to be a very broad conversation, and I think more of the conversations that we have in relation to the juxtaposition between education and mental health are going to focalize on ADHD specifically, because ADHD is sort of the catch-all diagnosis that allows teachers the capacity to inform parents to, you know, induce their children um, into a more calm, relaxed state by way of, of medication. And I've spoken in my earlier videos about what happens when not enough people understand sort of the diagnostics criteria, understand the, the layout of mental health and, and the, the system of mental health and how that system operates and some of the flaws within that system and how it's important to understand the flaws within the mental health system and within even, you know, the ways that mental health professionals are informed by way of how they diagnose each other so that one can protect themselves from a misdiagnosis. So I don't think that enough of that information is floating around and enough people are armed with the tools to properly critique um, a mental health diagnosis in and of itself or recognize when there is a disorder or sort of reference within the DSM, which is the Diagnostic Statistics Manual, um, that makes the actual disorder in and of itself fallible um, and, and problematic. And if there is a disorder that is problematic, we all need to know that so that we can weigh um, sort of the risks and rewards involved with going a specific route with a specific treatment and recognizing what the long-term effects of that specific treatment might be because sometimes it's the treatment that you're going to have to manage over you know the extent of your lifetime opposed to the actual issue being addressed if you're not addressing that issue with the appropriate treatment. So, so the one thing that we need to kind of start kick off this conversation on education is around education and mental health together is that a lot of a lot of diagnostic criteria are constitutive. They construct opposed to reflect. And that's very important because if they construct, then that means it's very easy to build a disorder around someone's disposition. So who you are as you are, if it's othered by whatever reason, um, it's easy to build a diagnosis and build a disorder around that behavior if it's unusual or if it's not you know, what people expect but that doesn't mean that that behavior is disordered. Outlying behavior doesn't need to be categorized as a mental health issue. So what we wanna see is we wanna also see parallels between the reference diagnosis and the criteria that one uses to make that diagnosis. And when we think about ADHD, which is, I believe, the specific diagnosis that creates the juxtaposition between education and mental health, we see that ADHD has a neuropsychological profile, which it would need to because the intervention of choice is pharmaceutical, yet all of the diagnostic criteria surrounding ADHD is behavioral. And this is an issue because in order for one to properly validify a neuropsychological diagnosis, one would need to look at the neuropsychological profile of an individual. Um, and this is not my saying that disorders don't exist if, if there isn't a neuropsychological issue, they do. We can have you know, a perfectly healthy physical brain and still have a mental health disorder. The problem is when you identify a mental health disorder as being aligned or being um, sort of 
congruent with there being abnormalities in the actual chemistry and the composition of the brain, but then none of the diagnostic criteria parallel to reflect that that is the way that we identify that this mental health issue exists. So it's a problem specifically for ADHD because ADHD has and continues to have a neuropsychological profile, yet all of the criteria that is used to diagnose it is behavioral. Um, more than just behavioral, intra-individual. And, and, and intra-individual means that the manifestations of this disorder are based on what happens internally. So based on one's ability to communicate effectively what they're managing internally. And when we're talking about children, a lot of that, a lot of how they express and talk about what they're experiencing is, is very easily influenced by a, a, someone who is in a position of authority. It's especially important because if, if one attempts to explain a client or a patient's distress using specific or only intra-individual characteristics, so this could be, you know, cognitive distortion, neurotransmitter dysfunction, um, or weak ego boundaries, these specific things, trying to whittle things down to these specific categories completely ignores the effects of social injustice that play into even the mental health arena and that play into a lot of these individuals' lived experiences. So this is important to address because there's this unspoken expectation that if there are researchers who are kind of who are placed to research and to provide information and clarity on different diagnoses that these researchers approach their research unbiased, completely objective, with the sole purpose of, of reflecting light on an area of, of confusion or an area you know where people are looking for additional clarity. So we expect that researchers are neutral, that they're free of bias, and, and that they're objective. But the reality is this is not the case. We have this idea that it's pervasive, that science is free from political agenda. That is not true. Science is definitely has, is and has been and continues to be affected by political agenda. Researchers aren't approaching their research subjects free of bias, completely neutral, and you know, with objective clarity, because a lot of the research that we receive freely is typically sponsored by the pharmaceutical companies that are looking to make lifelong patients out of the students that start on a drug intervention very young in age. Um, and by the research that I did with the Canadian Health Measures Survey, and 41% of people between the individuals who took this survey were on some form of prescription medication, and this is between the ages of 6 to 79. So within 48 hours of them taking the survey, they had taken a prescription education, so a prescription medication. Um, so recognize that this isn't something that's very distant. Chances are, in a community of 10, um, at least half of those individuals, at least 41% of those individuals, if not more, if I whittle down so the, the metrics a little bit more, um, are on prescription medication. A lot of these people are on prescription medication that they're expected to be on for a lifetime. And you, we need to recognize that it's not because, it's not always the case that they're on these medications because they need it. Sometimes medication comes with an effect. And if one is unable to manage that effect, then they're taking additional medication to manage the effects that comes with that medication. And all of that creates a lifelong client for the pharmaceutical companies of an individual who becomes dependent on a drug intervention. 
or forms of drug interventions, which is problematic because it begins within the classroom. A lot of the people or the adults who are watching this video or who will be having discussions with, their first introduction to prescription medication to manage a mental health concern happened when they were children. Um, so we need to recognize this as a problem area. We need to recognize that it's a problem if 61% of teachers are experiencing mental health issues, yet they're the ones who are taking on the hat of identifying children with mental health issues. And we need to recognize that that cannot be an objective assessment. And we need to find a way to create more filtering and safety mechanisms to ensure that healthy individuals aren't being prescribed medication within a classroom setting. All of that to say, this assumption that science is uncontaminated by politics needs to end. Science is completely contaminated by politics. There's a lot of scientific fact that is purely purely speculative, not scientific at all. It is pseudoscience, and we need to start cultivating the critical thinking lens to see that, especially before we allow ourselves to play the role as guinea pig um, for some of the measures and the interventions that are put into place for a pseudoscientific diagnosis. They're real, they happen, and we need to just be vigilant to ensure that they're not happening to us. I guess to close off this video, but open up the discussion again on the juxtaposition between mental health and education and why we need to talk about these two things together is recognizing that both education and mental health have a very ugly history. And this isn't just in North America, this is worldwide. If you look at the nitty gritty details of our mental health history, of our educational history, we recognize that you know marginalized individuals have always been a target. Many of the personality disorders within the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistic Manual, even now target marginalized communities. And I mentioned one of my earlier videos, PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, targets women, gender identity disorder. That was once a disorder, it targets you know trans individuals and peoples who have a more fluid gender identity. Dependent personality disorder. This is largely influenced by societal norms and expectations of the time. And yet these behaviors were disordered in order to other individuals who were affected by the societal norms of that time. So we need to recognize that not everything that one has classified in the past as a mental health disorder should be classified as such. And also recognize that if there is a disorder that is put in place where the diagnostic criteria doesn't align with the diagnostic profile, such as ADHD, which has a neuropsychological profile yet, all of the diagnostic criteria identifies it as a behavioral manifestation, then that needs to ring red flags, especially if the intervention creates room for long-term drug dependency for children between the ages of six, well above the age of 79. And there's a lot more statistics to demonstrate that those who start drug interventions at six are most likely maintaining a certain form of drug dependency well into adulthood and late in their life. And, and this is a cycle that I definitely personally feel very passionate about breaking. We don't need to live a life in a haze because of a drug intervention. We don't need to be muted um, because we're in classrooms that can't contain us being taught by teachers who are battling their own mental health issues. And if this is sort of the current climate, then there's something about this climate that we need to adjust and address so that we are protecting those who are healthy and who are adaptive and who need a different setting in order to thrive. 
this video in a nutshell, and I, I really do hope that I've engaged you and that you're thinking critically about the diagnoses you've received in the past, about what the profile of that diagnosis was. I think I mentioned in an earlier video, there's typically three. So there's cognitive, behavioral, as well as neuropsychological. And I mentioned that you always want to ensure that there is alignment, there's a parallel between how one is assessing you and diagnosing you with having this specific issue, as well as, you know, the profile of that issue in and of itself. And I think we need to really start to see issues with the fact that the first sort of level of command in diagnosing mental health issues are the educators within the classroom who themselves are battling mental health issues, and that we're dealing with people who aren't mental health professionals necessarily, they don't necessarily have that training, who are sort of taking advantage of the flexibility in the diagnostic criteria and the subjectivity that is rampant in the diagnostic criteria without any tests or any safeties that are put in place to ensure that what it is that they're saying um, is reflected as, as a behavior such as ADHD that requires a medical intervention is truly the case because we're actually going in and seeing if there are um, issues with the executive function of the brain we're going in and we're identifying if whether or not the areas of the brain that are said to be allegedly uh, aligned with someone having um, attention deficit disorder are actually impaired. Um, and that's actually a very hard thing to prove, but that will be a very different video. Um, but this video is, is a very much a criticism of the juxtaposition that exists between mental health and education. I think that the juxtaposition that exists is an unhealthy one. It is one that has reinforced the mental health crisis within education today. Um, as I've mentioned, 59.4% of students feel hopelessness, and we have 61% of educators who feel too stressed to perform well on the job. And these metrics should be concerning to us because this isn't the way that we want children to start out in life. We don't want them to start out with hopelessness. I mean, life gets much tougher. And if the way that life is going within classrooms right now seems to be far beyond their ability to cope, then we need to address that 100%. Um, so this was sort of me just introducing the trajectory of the next few videos that we focus on within education. We're going to be focusing and really drilling down on the juxtaposition between mental health and education. We're going to be criticizing that juxtaposition and we're going to be identifying very specifically the ways that we need to reform. Um, and we're also going to be identifying the specific diagnoses that creates this link and reinforces this link between mental health and education. And one of them specifically is ADHD. And I personally do have a bone to pick with ADHD. And I hope that by the time we're done the series that you'll have a bone to pick with ADHD too and of course all very well-informed bones to pick with ADHD because I will definitely be providing you with resources and research down below. I think as parents it's important that we are, you know, I myself am not a parent but I'm here to support parents by providing them with the toolkit, with the language, with the information that they need to properly defend and support their children um, and also to make push back against these educators who themselves are not well um, and who are battling their own mental health concerns who are trying to push drug interventions on otherwise healthy children. So that's this video. I hope that you enjoyed the content. Please do feel free to engage with me. I'm always very happy to respond to your messages, respond to your emails. You don't leave a whole lot of comments, so I hope that that changes sometime soon. But if you're still here, definitely subscribe, like, comment, and share this video. And definitely until next time, we'll see you soon. Like no one's listening